State of Digital Publishing is a publication and community for digital publishing and media professionals in new media and technology. In this episode, we speak with Sharath Cherian, the founder and CEO of Hip Hop DX, about managing moments of content overload. Hip Hop DX is an online magazine of hip hop music criticism and news. It has been at the forefront of hip hop culture for 20 years with over 3.5 million monthly readers. DX not only stays current on hip hop culture, but continues to influence it while simultaneously reflecting on its past. Let's begin. Hi, Sharath, how are you? I'm doing all right, and yourself? I'm good, thanks. Thanks for joining us today on the podcast. I'm happy to be here. It's awesome. We've had a music publisher on our podcast, I think one of the first episodes a while back now. But it's, it's good to connect with you today because I know we've been introduced to you guys and you guys have been definitely speak about an important topic around maintaining engagement, particularly during pretty busy times now where a lot of people are overloaded with content. But before we start with that topic, I think, Sharaf, it'd be good to just introduce yourself to our audience and just a bit of background about how you, um, you've come to where you are now because you've been around with Hip Hop DX for quite some time now. Yeah, I'd like to uh, joke a little bit that I'm a little old in internet years. I, uh, I started Hip Hop DX in 1999 in my parents' basement up in Canada, a city called Winnipeg. And I did it, uh, I'd been in the industry for a while. I was doing some street team work for BMG Music Canada, promoting Puffy's first album, Biggie's second album. There was also a lot of, uh, what else was marketed during that? Like uh, Big Pun, a lot of loud record stuff, Wu-Tang stuff. And so I'd be doing that and I was a little entrepreneurial. I was shipping in mixtapes into Winnipeg from New York and Toronto, selling them uh, at the local skate store, the local dance raver stores and stuff like that. And I had a little network of uh, a way of bringing in revenue uh, as a 16 year old. Um, And so after sort of moving through those avenues and seeing the internet sort of come up, I really... Uh, as a poor college kid, needed a free way to get music and admit all the uh, record label reps in my local market. So I thought if I started a website, they'd give me albums to review and I'd review them and put them on the site. And that's really kind of how Hip Hop DX started. It wasn't really trying to be a you know full-fledged business, but over very quickly, pretty much after I launched, I realized, oh, okay, I got to make some ad dollars and some ad revenue. So jumped on a plane from Winnipeg to Toronto, did a little presentation. And that was really where my investment money came into the business. It was like $800 that I'd saved up uh, over the summer. Went to Toronto, sold these labels who really, at the time, no one was talking about page views or anything like that, but we sold them on one month placements for artists that were coming off albums. And that was really the, the seeds of um, me doing ad sales, me being an editor in chief. <laughs> You know, me, me doing everything. Nice. Where do you say you guys are today? Like, cause it, you know, a lot has changed since 1999. More obviously other publishers in the space have come out and there's different ways of engaging and approaching your audience. How do you guys differentiate yourself today? Well, I think uh, what's funny is I think we had more competitors when I launched the site than we do today in terms of, I guess, you're kind of right in, the, in what you were saying earlier that you have competitions coming from all different directions. But before you pretty much had every, like at least another 10 other websites that were doing the same thing. And I, I kind of like joke, I still joke about it is that we didn't have any money during the first uh, dot-com bubble. So they were, they spent all their money not really knowing what to do. And we were able to sort of get through that no problem. Since then, we, you know, we moved out to LA in 2004. I like to call us the little engine that could. We just kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger. But, you know, when it comes to, sort of seeing now versus then yeah i really think that you're getting a lot of 
you're competing with different platforms and that's that's much different than competing you know against the same platform where the technology is the same you guys can have people can have conversations about the same things is now it's it's very much like you know are you an expert in your space in the in your different like niche spaces i think yeah, that's exactly the point um you can't look at it just analog and black or white but yeah i, I do remember when i was sort of speaking to that person in the space it was very much single track driven and and the fact that trying to provide the audience more information around tracks and those technology and then just solutions in sort of trying to scale that particularly using a community driven method do you think that platform driven is still the best way to move forward what do you think is the best model or what do you think are the models that exist in your space at the moment that are thriving i actually think when it comes to like the internet's its own beast so if you're and i literally look at google as being like i like to use the analogy that it's the library of today so back in the day you really wouldn't go into you go to the library to get some books or do some research and i think google sort of become that over time and so you're getting a lot of people looking for historical information looking to confirm things and they might be getting their news off of social media uh their media now but you need the place of records you need the place of history so you're going to see all these uh, i also like to joke that like every 5 years there's a new platform or network that's going to pop up and this really has to do with this concept that i've developed over the years where kids don't want to hang out with their parents fundamentally and so you know they didn't want to do it you know when in my in in the 80s and the 90s they'd go to the malls and hang out there where their parents couldn't find them and uh now it has to do a social network so if he, your parents are on facebook they're not going to be on facebook they're going to jump to something else you know if your parents are on instagram your kids are going to jump to tiktok it this is just going to keep happening there's just going to be every like 5 years there's going to be three social media platforms that maybe every generation's part of or focuses on and it's just going to kind of keep sort of cycling itself when you actually say to yourself well what should i be focusing on what should i you know where should i go i i don't i don't think anything's wrong you have to start somewhere and you have to choose you have to choose a platform that makes sense you are obviously depending on where you're at you want to grow you know we we want to grow in the hip hop space and you know we enjoy the music and the culture and and so we have to kind of go where the audience sort of moves and and where the music consumption is there's nothing to be done with spotify or apple music but you know when when it comes to you you kind of just got to be where youth culture is you know at any given time for us and that's funny i think that's a good segue in our main topic we're going to speak about today so obviously like you know when you try to reach your shifting the new audience or new generation like like you said you shift to different platforms different mediums so you know there's a there's some sort of aspect where there might be publishers that might be experiencing a bit of overload and trying to tackle that and b as well just sort of you know that new audience would be also be overloaded with some content so you know i think it might be difficult to keep that engagement happening. What do you think is the main issue today with that scenario um in terms of a trying to capture the new audience as new segments whilst sort of maintaining that shifting demographic as as they get older. So are you talking about from a online uh like from a website standpoint or you talk more from a like one of the apps in general It doesn't have to be limited to the website. Yeah, I, but I think it's important because it really it does change strategy on what you're trying to trying to do to drive traffic cuz when you when you think about the internet the internet is the only place that you can or let's say http like it's the only place you can actually code out a very customized like the the most customized experience for somebody right apple 
you know, Google, they all, their platforms are still restricted in some way. Like, the, yes, you have your screen size and you can kind of do almost anything on your screen size, but there's a lot of things on the back end you can't do that the web allows still for, right? So, so it, when it comes down to it, the web is going to be very hard for new people to come into because the amount of technology and the amount of information that you have to understand and adapt to, which is very contrary, I think, to what a lot of people talked about the internet being supposed to be like the democratization of information. You should be able to be able to do anything. It's going to inform a lot of people, but that's exactly, that hasn't happened. Like that, that it took the opposite road. And as, as more rules like GDPR and all these other ones come in, they're limiting, you know, uh, websites ability to reach people. So they, those are the struggles I think that they're facing in order to overcome them. You're looking at having to hire the right people on your website. I wouldn't necessarily recommend anybody who's starting in the space to start a website unless they have the resources to start one, you know, like you're going to need uh, like a million dollars a year runway in order to at least like keep a website operating and running at a, at a decent scale, you know? So that, that would be my like first sort of salvo to that question. I think that's, that's really good to um, acknowledge because as much as you can still write reviews and, you know, I think this, to, some, to some aspect, individual content creators might still go down that path of writing reviews to build up their credibility. The scale is more, to some extent, it's more important since a lot of people have that information or similar information and, and it'll make it harder to cut through. So that's one aspect, like you said. What was the steps you've taken in order to be able to continually identify those moments of where audiences are overwhelmed with certain information? What did you do to pivot or be able to adapt? What's one example that you can provide our audience on that? I'd have to say the overall theory of the site really is to, I personally love to report about what makes a star a star and not necessarily that they're a star. And so I think our niche has always been music culture, uh, hip hop music culture, not hip hop culture. And so as we continue to sort of talk about that, like we don't talk about an Air Force One to talk about Air Force One. We talk about, we do talk about when Drake does a collaboration with Nike and comes out with a really dope OVO shoe. So those are the things we are focused on as we can, and, and it's the thing that's sort of strived us well, where we're like, okay, we know our niche, we know how to sort of plan around it, you know, our editorial calendars and all that stuff. But it's hard to tell writers, how do you write an article for hip hop? And, and you got to explain to each new crop of writers, like, no, you're talking about hip hop music culture, not hip hop culture. And this is how you're going to have to do this, this, and this in order to sort of you navigate that path. And that's what's, I think, really interesting and exciting that there is that, that sort of like nuance to it, but that nuance makes all the difference in the world. It's like, how can you have fun giving somebody their steak, you know, their broccoli and their dessert all at the same time? That's interesting. How important is the fundamental, like potential news announcements around single launches and, and all those other related music content? Do you think that's still part of something that, you know, platforms are, are providing that more freely now. So do you think that's still important as part of your editorial strategy or is it purely just the niche that you spoke about now? Well, we're trying to tell stories. So it's how do you weave all the releases and everything uh, around uh, those around the stories you're telling. So when artists comes out with albums, all that information, like that's the fundamental of what we're doing. So as we sort of grow, you know, my goal is to, take everything we're doing and just integrate. Like how can we keep providing very data focused information 
like, oh, this was the release date of this album, or this was, this is the awards that this artist won, or things like that, that help make the story what I call more full. So that when you sit down, and you read it, you have all this other information that can help enlighten you uh, to why the artist is there and what, and why did they do what they did? And how does it sort of relate historically to what they've done? So, so while it might not be the, the point that people are like there for right away, it becomes so much more part of the the story in the in the, the long term language. No, I think I think that makes sense, and that's sort of where you could potentially cut through with people that might be looking for when well, maybe maybe they started either in looking for new releases or they're looking for culture, depending on what stage they are at. Having that full sort of story it helps them increase their touch points. I think typically around those uh, announcements or when you're covering the culture aspect of, of their music, people would be very competitive in trying to publish it first. And, you know, I think a lot of times that competition is, you know, like I said, even though there's, there's not as much as you said, there's still some out there. So what's your take on some of the approaches you can take to be able to keep engaging new and existing audiences on those moments? And what's, what's one example that you have recently gone through to be able to keep that consistency going? Well, the consistency is is just being consistent, like making sure you're always reporting about it. And then the technology aspect of it, I think that's what every, really the, the people who did not last are the people who didn't focus on the technology that is necessarily to play with Google, to feed your articles into um, Facebook, into uh, Apple News. And at the same time, knowing what not to do, like we don't do AMP at all because the reality is, is you make more money and you, you get more time spent if you have the reader come to your website. So we, we did a bunch of tests around it and we noticed very quickly that it's nice that we have a bunch more traffic, but this doesn't help us create loyal reader. So we, we threw that out like two years back and we do every so often test something out. Same thing with the Facebook Insta article. We don't do that as well. We just feed the news straight there. Obviously, I'm sure you're aware that Google has recently announced they're gonna allow you to be in top stories on mobile without AMP, uh, I think May this year. So like, these are things that I feel validated on. I see I see time and time again, these, these bigger companies like a Google, like a Facebook, they keep trying to do things that are publishing focused and they, they put in these really large initiatives and then they give up on them two years later. And it's, it's kind of very frustrating. I think at least finally, you know, I used to see the New York Times logo in every single announcement because they wanted to be cutting edge and now I think they're in the same space where it's like, well, listen, like we're not going to dump four people and all these resources to build something out that you guys are not going to be committed to in like uh, four years. Cause what's the point? So I think that's a decent example of like us in terms of technology, but we're always, always like watching SEO and how things are related to how people are finding our site and uh, making sure that all our channels are hitting on all fours and all cylinders. Nice. No, I think that's, that, that makes it a lot more clearer what you mean from a technology point of view. Is there any particular uh, examples or campaigns or initiatives that you, you have internally run that you, you, you can say like, you know, we're the ones that sort of are a bit more forward thinking than our competitors. What's the example look like and how did that opportunity come about? It can either be technology related or you can just uh, in general from an editorial strategy point of view. We have this article, we, I call it This Year So Far, and it's it's been a very great article. Uh, if you type in one of the best hip-hop albums, just like, yeah, if you just type into Google best hip-hop albums, you should, right now, I think we're ranking a little lower than we usually do because of some changes we made internally, but like number seven or eight is the best hip-hop albums of 2021. Yeah. We do that with 
hip hop albums, R&B albums, rap albums. We do that for hip hop singles, rap singles, and R&B singles. And we do that for mixtapes too. So these are five articles that come out every month. They get updated every month. And it's become like a, we're doing, you know, a, a few hundred thousand page views a, a week on these, on the, the group of articles. But looking at like, you, people I think look at their editorial calendar and say to themselves like, oh, what do we need to do for Valentine's Day? What do we need to do for Father's Day? Uh, what do we need to do for Christmas? And it's really uh, a hard approach to take yeah, after 20 years of doing that, you can kind of see that if you want to be a little deep in information, it, it's not, everybody comes with the same idea. Like let's, let's interview, you know, artist mothers for Mother's Day, you know, like, okay, you can do that. That's a very basic idea, but how do you make it relate and how do you make it feel different than what everyone else is going to do? And we have a few other programs that we're focusing on this year, but the, this year so far articles, I think are, are great sort of examples of us just sort of like taking this concept that people would need the information. People always want to know what the best hip hop albums are at any given time. So here it is, you know, here's a list for you to, to digest. And we've been very hyper-focused. Like I tell you, like we have the editorial side, we have the, the technical side and we talk about it every week. We're looking at the numbers. I like to joke about what gets managed. So we're always looking at it from both, both the editorial side. What can we do better with our H1 tags or H2 tags? How do we hire... How do we create the hierarchy? You know, should we put, you know, hey, do we put a Spotify embed at the top of the singles one that have all the singles you can listen to? Or do we put that at the bottom? You know, we're watching, you know, how that works. And so these user experiences consistently being analyzed. The content is consistently being analyzed. The, you know, how people are finding the pages consistently being analyzed. You know, so we're, built, we're building out editorial programs as editorial calendars. No, that's that's music to my ears. Like I, I work with other publishers, and basically, like a lot of the evergreen approaches that you said, the program around albums so far, very evergreen approach. You, you have higher focus. You're just maximizing core pieces and making the most of them is, is absolutely key. Because otherwise, just trying to publish this, um, like you said, if you're just focusing on just publishing on a topic, but there's no value, or you're just like not going to give it enough mileage to help it perform, then there's no point in publishing it. So. Yeah, absolutely right on there. I 100% agree with you. To ask yourself, like, what does the music fan need next week, next month, next year, four years from now, right? Like, that's the stuff that you want to focus on. Uh, well, we're doing both. We're obviously, you know, our, our day-to-day is pretty locked down. Like, we have a good news team and, you know, they're, they're producing content on a consistent basis. But, you know, we're, we're moving also part of the team into more of a long-term editorial focus and that's how we think about it with that in mind besides the technology and, and everything else that you mentioned i guess it's important that you add stack or or you know looking at it from analytics do you guys have particular ways of measuring that how are you making sure that you keep continuing that engagement for these particular programs that you're running just always watching watching every part of the numbers i don't think we have anything i mean time spent's important you know like yeah it's mostly the google analytics numbers i mean we're running Sometimes we're running like a hot jar. I don't know if you're familiar with them. Um, just like where people are clicking on the page, you know, oh, look, people are clicking on this album cover. Let's make sure that's linked to the album review, things like that, just to get an extra page view out of it. But these aren't things, it's not like we're spending every single day. We're watching it, you know, maybe we're spending 30 minutes to an hour a week sort of reviewing each program, right? And then sort of fixing it, making it better. Um, it's just iterative. It's consistently being iterative at these things. And most people won't spend the time, you know, like that's all it comes down to. No one wants to spend the time to be iterative over iterative over iterative, like, because you, you get to gold 50 times later, you don't get to gold the first two or three iterations. hundred percent. Sometimes as well, like people take it the other extreme in terms of just purely like relying on tools to be able to give them that 
inside or you know just trying to pick it up for them like where do you see the balance of the editorial team being on the post i know you said half an hour which is yeah that makes sense where do you see the balance in in trying to get more contextual data and using tools like uh parsley or maybe like more of those other bigger bigger solutions versus just simply getting the teams to be on the post where do you find that balance it's so funny when you get those emails that say hey Hey, I got this great technology and all it is is one one line of code. All you need to do is put this one line of code on your site. And to me, it's the funniest sales email. It's 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 also the most devastating because nobody understands that when you're as old as we are, like the amount of spaghetti code, I'm sure you experienced this with some of your clients, is that like you can't do a lot of things quickly because there's just things being built on top of other things that are being built on top of other things. And when somebody says, uh, when, a, when some sort of technology partner comes in and says, oh, just put this one line of code in, it just becomes like, it's a daunting task, one. But two, at this point in the game, I actually believe very few tools are very helpful. I think an editorial calendar is really amazing. You know, I think that's that that can really help getting everyone in line with that calendar, whether it be like on a Monday or be on a spreadsheet or be wh- wherever it needs to be. You know, I think that's a huge component of it. And then a way that like your general costs can relate to that tool. You know, like I, I have tons of ideas because I've seen this so long, like I'm being around CMSs so long. Like it's, there's so many things that a lot of these CMSs get wrong. And a lot of things you can't do. I, I think Vox, is, Vox Media is probably way ahead of its time when it comes to creating publishing tools within its own environments. But again, they're they're building their own tech stack out. You know, we were we were never big enough. We were never funded. So like it, this whole build was you know done by stun from by that eight hundred dollars, and uh, we beat all our competitors. The, the people who were left were just people who were heavily funded. Whether it was Double XL that's owned by Town Square Media, which is a huge radio conglomerate, and uh, uh, hot new hip hop, which was purchased and funded uh, by his family wealth. So this is the only site that sort of kept going and getting bigger. All the competitors didn't didn't understand the technology well enough, and you know they're not here here anymore. That's a fair point. Like I mean, I mean, you guys have been around for a long time, so I think you can say that with authority. So what's funny to me is like this last year and a half, we've grown the site. We've gone from like uh, 2.1 million to to 3.1 million users. Like no one's talking about websites growing. Nobody is. And, and that's so funny. Like, it's funny that nobody's talking about websites. Everyone's talking about the, what the new app is. But yet, Hip Hop DX is like one third its size. Like, you know what I mean? Got, got 33% larger. Like, that's hilarious to me, you know? Yeah, I guess they're just trying to show that they're more innovative. But I guess, yeah, they need to come back to the hard numbers as well. With the last point on what we spoke about, what would be the main things that would help you then drive towards either like adopting those technologies more uh, organization-wide. I know you mentioned about AMP, for example, and how you d- did tests and, you know, then you made the decision on to not adopt it. But like, even with our tech solutions or anything else, like what would be some of the deciding things to help you guys adopt that? I think uh, definitely a long-term view, like 14 days to try out any service is is not even a, like, it's just like, I can't do it. I personally don't have the resources to be like, oh, in 14 days, I'm going to know how this is going to adapt to my business or, you know, I'd rather say, hey, just give me a low entry fee now. Let me take like the next half year to a year to really like play with it and and try to do stuff with it. And then if it works, then, or maybe it does work because at that point you are integrated and you spent the time to to do whatever you needed to do to make it work. Um, I think that's kind of important. Just, it's really like, you need the runway to see if that technology will actually work. Or 
you know, another way is just the knowledge, just like coming into the approach with your tech and who you're selling it to with the knowledge, like this is actually really going to help you not like an assumption, like not a guess, like, you know, sending a bunch of emails and, you know, autoresponders because you haven't responded yet. That's not really a way to sort of track down some of these publishers. But, and I think there's a lot to be said for just like organization, man, like helping some of the smaller sites to organize in terms of their, like, you, like we talked about editorial calendars, just getting them to know things to think about, content strategy, stuff like that. That stuff's just so, so fundamental. But it is hard sometimes for those guys to see value in it because they don't understand it yet, right? You don't know what you don't know. Exactly. Or it might be just, uh, like you said, organizing that and executing that within a team might be harder due to various reasons. So like you said, just about making them aware about that and, and showing them the value. No, so no, I 100% agree, agree where you're coming from on that. I think moving on to the, the last point, I think on our conversation, if you're going to start from scratch again, considering about how there's ever increasing content overload that's happening, what advice would you give to, to publishers either in a different space or in a similar space like you're, you're in, in being able to do it from scratch? I think that it's so weird because technology could be your competitive advantage, but it's also the thing that at the beginning that's really going to hurt you. So like, you know, yes, a YouTube channel, an Instagram account. I mean, these are going to be your friend on, in terms of creating content. And you're just going to start there. And you're just going to choose one of the platforms, you know, try to do your research and know kind of maybe what can hurt you at the beginning, you know, what can't, and then take the plunge. Like you can't, you got, you got to start doing it to see what the numbers look like. And you got to be consistent. Cause like, if you put up one piece of content on a Saturday and another piece of content, like on a Friday, and then the next week you don't do it, because something came up in life and then you go do it again. Like that's not, that's not going to be the biggest thing with content is consistency. Biggest thing. Like you got to keep doing it day and show up to the party, show up to the party, you know, like that's what it comes down to the most. Once you have that, you know, then you can start thinking about other things. But, you know, I, I also like to say like everybody's, there, there's so many of people's last names that are like, you know, magazines or like publications, like right Huffington Post and all that stuff. So like most businesses started with somebody just starting it. And then eventually it became bigger over time, you know? So you, you got to take the plunge, you got to do it in terms of like, I, I would sit there and be like, if you want to do video, YouTube is a place to go, you know, and then tertiary, you do little snippets and marketing on your Instagram, your Twitter, uh, your Facebook account, you might be able to cut up some of that stuff and put it on Facebook as well. You know, you don't, you don't want to be sitting there building technology because you're already, your head's in the game of creating content. So you don't, you want to start stay away from that for, for a while. But then at some point when you hit a critical mass uh, on one of those platforms and you know, you can leverage them to a website, you know, leverage them to a website to build up the brand, you know, start with maybe if you can start with merch first, great, you know, because if you can transfer a viewer into a buyer, that's a really important segue to, to make and you just keep you sort of keep going from there and then if, if they're coming to the website then you can start feeding them more information again you know i think that's fundamental advice like you, you have to just commit and just work the walk the mile like there's no shortcut around it so yeah absolutely unfortunately there's no shortcut at all absolutely and with that uh Sharath, um i'd love to thank you for your time and appreciate your, your advice on content overloads thank you so much no appreciate it thank you for having me Thank you for listening to the SEO and Publishing Podcast. Visit stateofdigitalpublishing.com for digital media publishing resources, services, and collaboration today.